Father, we thank you that we're here today to meet with you. Lord, we're thankful for the fellowship that we have with one another. And we're thankful that the gifts of the Spirit can operate so that we might be edified in the love of Jesus. And we're thankful that iron can cross iron, Lord, and we can be sharpened in the relationships you've given us with one another. What a, what a beautiful uh, thing that you've offered to us to be a part of your family, the, the, the church, the bride of Christ. But God, like Josh prayed earlier, so many of us are facing different things in our life, and the most important thing for us to know is that we're not facing them alone because Jesus, the same way you were with Joseph as we'll be looking at today, you're with us. And that hand that was on Nehemiah, that hand's on us who belong to you. And I pray today, Father, that we'd really encounter you through your truth, for your living word. We're thankful that you send it forth to accomplish what you purposed it to do. And I pray for great things to be accomplished today, Lord. Only you can do it by your spirit. So we pray, Father, your blessing over the word today. We pray, God, even now that our hearts would be humble and that they'd be teachable and that you'd write these truths upon them, that it might take root downward, that it might bear fruit upward for your glory and for your kingdom. How we bless you, and we thank you for your love and your faithfulness to us in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to, turn to James chapter 1. Keep a finger in Genesis 39 if you've already jumped the gun and you're there. But we're going to start off in James chapter 1. But one of the things, we're going to take communion today. It's the first Sunday of, uh, of the month, and, and we like to celebrate communion the first Sunday of the month. And, and I think it's, uh, you know, it, it, it's just a very good Sunday to do it because today's July 4th, right? And, and we remember July 4th, 1776, there's a Declaration of Independence that was adopted by the Continental Congress. And uh, many towns actually did a mock funeral for King George III, symbolizing the end of monarchy and tyranny and the birth of liberty. You know, I was thinking for us as believers, Declaration of Independence, you know, three words there really that have established physical freedom that you and I get to enjoy today that we should not take for granted. But something better than our physical freedom is our spiritual freedom. And there was three words declared two different times, I believe, in the Bible that really offers us our declaration of independence. And the first one is, it is finished. What Christ did at that cross for us, man, it is finished. And then the next one, he is risen. You know, proven to us, he was who he said he would be. And what that does is that offers us death to self, death to sin, and the birth of liberty. We no longer have to live under the tyranny of self-rule of selfishness, of who I once was. We get to live under the liberty of Jesus Christ ruling our lives. And that's freedom. Whom the Son has set free is free indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So as you remember today that we celebrate this physical freedom, Better than that is what we're celebrating here because of the, what Christ did on the cross for us is that we have spiritual freedom. So, in James, we're going to be looking at a section of Scripture. Like I said, I'm looking at one of my heroes in the Bible, Joseph. And we're looking at a section of Scripture that is going to be very common to what all of us face in one form or another. And, and it's the theme of temptation. 
And what we need to understand is to be tempted isn't something that's wrong. It's what we choose to do with temptation that makes it right or wrong. I want you to look at what James says with me. He says here in verse 13, James 1.13, Let no man say when he is tempted, I'm tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempts he any man. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust have conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin when it is finished, it actually brings forth death. So what we see here is that there are personal warnings given to us in the Bible. And what God's doing in the Bible and what he's going to do when we look at the life of Joseph here is he's forewarning us. We see a man who just wins a great victory and resisted a huge lure of temptation in his life. And I believe the reason that one of the reasons he did because this was already pre-built into who he was. And today should be something that is pre-building into us. It's a pre-build to instruct us, to encourage us, to set forth an example to us, and even to warn us. So I want to keep that in mind as we look at the life of Joseph. Now you can turn to Genesis with me. We're in chapter 39. We're tracking this man's life. We see what an anointing he has on his life. And he enters into this chapter. He didn't even see it coming, but nevertheless it came anyhow. But temptation is to entice us to do wrong by a promise of pleasure or gain. You know, it's been said that Christians are like tea bags. You don't really know what's in them until they're put in hot water. All right? And, and today, Joseph's going into some hot water. The first mention, really, that, that we see of temptation was in the inside of a fallen angel by the name of Lucifer that you can read about in Isaiah 14, Ezekiel chapter 28, but, but he just had the temptation to get prideful and to exalt self. And it, and it caused his fall. It caused his destruction. The second mention is what he does in the Garden of Eden. That same fallen angel now exploits and, and, and subtly, de through deception, he deceives man in their perfect form. That should get our attention. Perfect angel. Perfect humans. And they were lured into temptation. We're here in an imperfect form. And the enemy's always going to bring temptation against us. What chance do we stand? Well, we have this. We got Jesus living in us. So we yield to the things that he's doing in our lives, speaking into our lives, and teaching our lives so that we can experience the freedom that he's preordained for our lives. So we see with Joseph here, really, I believe that, that this is already pre-built inside of him, and we're going to see this as we go. So we're going to pick up in verse 6. And, and it says that, you know, 
We see that he got sold as a slave to Potiphar's home. Great favor. Potiphar's house is blessed. He promotes him. He gives him charge over everything. Man, you got my password. You got my bank account. I, I, I trust you with my kids. I trust you with my wife. Everything. Joseph was just shown such great favor. And it says in verse 6, And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, meaning Potiphar, into Joseph's hand. And he knew not what he had except the bread that he did eat. So he didn't even know what he owned except for the groceries. And, and it says here, and Joseph was a goodly person, and he was well favored. So what that means, and, and all, we see this in the Bible also with an individual by the name of Saul, David, and Absalom. So basically, these guys, they had it going on, all right? These were some handsome dudes, and, and they had the physique and everything else. He had some DNA running down through his family line from his great-grandmother, Sarah, who they said was one of the most beautiful women that ever walked the planet. Grandmother, Rebecca, says she was very beautiful. Mother, Rachel, she was beautiful, and, and she was well-favored. Her appearance was very uh, beautiful, and I believe this probably got passed into Joseph. Some DNA went down, and he was just a good-looking dude, man. He was built. I mean, just... I. I posed my wife the, 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 question, the loaded question the other day. I'm like, who do you think's the most handsome man on the planet? And then I waited for the lie, right? The lie's going to be, oh, it's me, right? So, so yeah, sure enough, three, two, one. Oh, you, honey. Okay, Pinocchio. Let, let, let's tell me the truth, you know? And uh, so we went through a little bit, and, you, you know, uh, Tom Cruise, Chris Evans, Justin Timberlake, and everybody agreed on Brad Pitt. You know, I don't know who people think's good looking because they're dudes. I don't go there. No, we shouldn't go there. We're believers. Doesn't even enter the mind. But, uh, but I asked her that loaded question, you know, and, and that was some of the people that they came up with in my family. But, but here's the bottom line, you know, Joseph is just a good looking dude. But here's the bottom line. Is I believe we live in a culture today where overemphasis is put on exterior beauty. We're going to see that it didn't matter what this dude looked like on the inside or on the outside. On the inside, man, he was something. He was something special. He was someone that stood out. He had some interior beauty working in his life. And I think we've got to be very careful that we don't fall into the trap of overemphasizing the exterior of our life and underemphasizing the interior of our life. Case in point this morning, think about how long it took you to get ready for church and then think about how long it took you to sit at the feet of Jesus so you were really ready for church. And I get it, man. Sometimes Sunday mornings, my wife's got a crazy house trying to get the kids ready and get them out to church and everything. But the problem is when that becomes habitual, when that becomes the habit, where, where, where I'm spending so much time on the outside, I can hit the gym for two hours, but I can't hit my Bible for two minutes. And then all of a sudden, life shifts out of balance because I'm overemphasizing what I should be underemphasizing. I'm underemphasizing what I should be overemphasizing. And we want God to do a work in our hearts on the inside of us. So don't neglect the most important thing. So we see here that this guy was good. And, and one of the things you got to recognize here that, that if you know the rest of the, of the chapter, now this is at a point where he's been Potiphar's slave for 11 years. Okay, he's been there for 11 years. He was taken at, at, at 17 and he was brought, so he was about 28 years of age at this point. 
And, and he's there serving. He's just faithful. God's blessing him. He's blessing Potiphar's house. And he left all he had in his hands. He's a good-looking dude, and he was built. And verse 7 says this, And it came to pass after these things, 11 years later, his master's wife cast upon her eyes, uh, cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, Come and lie with me. Come to bed with me, Joseph. I mean, look at this temptation. Here's the thing about Potiphar's wife. These guys in, that were in positions like this always married up, so it didn't matter what he looked like. He had a good-looking wife on his arm to show off to the other people uh, when he was uh, walking around in his profession. So Potiphar's wife would have been a very good-looking wife, and, and she's seducing Joseph to come and to sleep with her. So we see this temptation. We see him at this crossroad. But, but here's one of the things that, that I want to throw out to you because I want to obliterate a lie that seems to run through the culture and the church that lust is just a guy's issue. It is, and it's a woman's issue too. We see it here with Potiphar's wife. And I think it's something that we have to be on guard. Actually, it was the lust of the eyes that Eve saw the fruit. It was her eyes, the eye gate, that led her to go the wrong direction, given the temptation. And we're suffering the ramifications for it today. Matter of fact, I wanted to look up statistics for you, but I could not figure out a way to look up statistics where I wouldn't have something crazy come up by my Google. So I threw the statistics away because it wasn't worth the risk. <clears throat> Lust is a fallen human being's issue. And that's what we see her doing here. And, and, but, but, but look at this. She cut, says, come and lie with me. But he refused. Look at it. He refuses. He had the opportunity to. He could have, she could have buttered it all up and everything. But, but, but he refused. It literally means to be unwilling. In the middle of that word unwilling is the word will. It was a choice he made on the inside. He could have gotten away with it, I'm sure. But he chose not to. Joseph was an individual that loved the Lord so much that he was willing to fight against the polarization of sin. He loved the Lord so much that he was willing to forsake the path of least resistance. And this is where godly character was forged. You know who you really are when you're put at a crossroads like this, put in a situation like this, put in a place of temptation like this, and what you do with it reveals to you who you really are. This guy was a man of God because of what he chose to do. Life threw him in the crucible. But I love what he says here, okay? Look at this. So he refused, and, and he said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master knows not what is with me in the house, and he's committed all that he hath to my hand. Look what he says, my master. He lived under authority. One of the things that helped him avoid temptation was he recognized there was somebody above him that he gave an account to. He wasn't his own Lord. He didn't just live his life his way. He recognized that there's authority over him. And I'll tell you what, man, for the church of the living God, we don't just serve a Savior, we serve a Lord that we will give an account to someday and who knows what's best for us. So he's not in heaven like a big boss. He's a loving leader that knows what's best for us, especially in times when we don't. That's why we can trust him and do what he says. He refused, unwilling said to his master's wife, Behold, my master doesn't know what's with me in the house, and he's committed all that he hath to my hand. Here's the bottom line. I want you to know this. Proverbs 6, 26 says that the adulteress hunts for the precious life. It's 2022, and you better believe the hunt is on. We have a culture today that is promoting 
sexual immorality, and it's on steroids. And you know what? We're the church of the living God that's been called to be the light of the world. We do things different. We're called to do things different. You know what? Let them laugh all they want, but abstinence is the word that we shoot for. Marriage between a husband and wife. Sex between a husband and wife. That's what we shoot for. Why? Because we have a master. And we refuse things by the power of the Holy Spirit to go contrary to what our master has asked for our life because he died for us. And he loves us and he knows what's best for us. So it says here that um, he refused, so we went through all that. He goes, there's none greater in his house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, but thou art his wife. Look at this was a non-negotiable. Joseph drew the line, and he backed way away from the line. You know, the other day we were down at Letchworth Park, and uh, my daughter, Raina, she's kind of wild. She's eight, and, and we're down at that little jut out where you look at the falls, and, and she was sitting there on the ledge facing us, and then she flipped her, her legs around the other way facing the falls on the ledge, and Danelle screams from 20 feet away, Raina! you know, thinking she's going to fall over that ledge. That's what the life of Joseph does. It screams to us not to fall over the ledge, not to get too close to the edge, because you fall, and there can be great destruction. But you know what he says here? You're his wife. You know what he saw? He saw that as something very sacred, even in that pagan culture of Egypt. You're his wife. There's a line drawn there. And he was unwilling to cross that line. He says, there's none greater in this house than I. He's kept back nothing but thee. And this is what he said, how can I do this great wickedness? He didn't say, this would be compromised in my life, or this would be wrong, or this wouldn't be a nice thing to do to my boss, no nothing. He said, you know what, that temptation you just gave me, that is great wickedness. That's how he felt about sin. And I'll tell you what, in the church today, I think a lot of times that there's so much discouragement and depression in the sin, because in Hebrews tells us that, that I, you, you've loved righteousness and you've hated iniquity, therefore the Lord thy God has anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. I, I think a lot of times we don't don't hate sin enough and that that way sin comes in and it can actually bring steal the joy out of our life but he saw it as great wickedness he saw it as something that was extremely wicked and he said how can i do this and look what he says in sin against god this is one of the things that i want us to recognize this he says how can i do this in sin against god think about everything he'd been through you think you had a bad day track with joseph and you know what I don't see in Joseph's life? I, 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 it's hard to see through all this integrity and all this forged of character, but the thing that I don't see is an attitude towards God, but maintaining a love for him in spite of his circumstances. In spite of his circumstances, he was still loving God. You know, his attitude, yeah, well, God's forsaken me anyhow. I got thrown in a pit, sold as a slave, now this slave, ah, I might as well go for it. No, not at all. Because he recognized that the God that he served was a good God regardless of circumstances. Regardless of circumstances. That he was a good God. Now, I want you to go with me to 1 Corinthians 10 real quick, verse 13. Because I'm going to show you the promise and hopefully give you the how when temptations come your way. Because they will. And they hit you when you're weak.
1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Here's a reality with a promise attached to it. There is no temptation taking you, but it, it's common to man. But God is faithful. God is faithful. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but will with that temptation also make a way of escape that you might be able to endure it. And sometimes temptations get, get very hard. They can be extremely strong. And, and I was thinking of a list of things, you know, how, how could we, you know, how can we avoid temptation? How can we take him up on this and find the way of escape? You know, we can consider examples from the Bible. Remember the cost that was paid for our sin. Prioritize our relationship with Jesus. Respond immediately to the Holy Spirit and the truth he brings to our heart in that moment. Hate sin and wickedness. Fear the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. But here's the bottom line. The way you and I can take that door of escape, the way Joseph's going to, is simply this. Is Paul tells us in the book of Romans that love fulfills the law. So he, the law wasn't even given yet, but love is the motivator. This guy loved the Lord, and that was his motive. For you and I, Jesus said the greatest commandment, right, is to love the Lord thy God with all the heart, soul, mind, and all thy strength. And when we're walking in the love of God and when we love Jesus more than anything in this world like we're supposed to, it is the path of victory and it is the door out of te any temptation. Any temptation. Because you know what? When you love the Lord first and most, you love Him more than you love yourself and your own fallen desires. So that's a promise given to us in the Word that there is a door of escape, but how do you go through it? You go through it by loving God. By simply loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So go back to Genesis with me. But you know, there, there's something in Joseph uh, that I love here. That it's, you know, it's the mindset that I refuse to bring anything that would bring dishonor and division between me and my God who loves me. You, you look at testimonies like this and you look like hearts like this. These are individuals that take away all our excuses. They take away all our excuses because Joseph was cut of the same fabric that you and I are. And there's a lot out there. And we have an enemy that's trying to destroy us through temptation. But look what happens here. Victory isn't a one and done, okay? In Christianity, victory is not a one and done. It's something to be maintained. It's something to be aware of. Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. Keep watching. Keep praying that you enter not into temptation. And it, it says here, And it came to pass, as she spake with Joseph, look at this, day by day just trying to wind him down, just relentlessly pursuing him, just trying to weaken him. Here's the thing that we need to remember, that the tempter is persistent, okay? The tempter is persistent. Remember when Jesus was tempted, Luke's account, and after the temptation had finished, in Luke 4.13, it says, and when the devil ended all his temptations, he departed from him 
for a season. For a season. Today's victories don't guarantee tomorrow's victories. Today's victories are something in tomorrow that we need to look back at to see how we got that victory and to keep walking in those victories. But today's victories don't guarantee tomorrow's victories. It's not a one and done. It's something that needs to be maintained. Keeping Christ first in our heart. Keeping Christ first in our lives. You know, when Jesus was tempted, you remember how he responded? It is written. It is written. You know what happens in temptation? The Holy Spirit's so faithful that he gives you and I some scripture. He gives us some direction. And if we go with that direction, we get victory. If we go against that direction, we suffer defeat. But David said this in Psalm 119, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. So we see here day after day, she heart to lie with her and to be with her. And, and, and it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house of business. There was none of them with the house that we're in, and, and she caught him by the garment. All right? So, so, and she said, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. Fled. He just took off. Go to, go to Second uh, Timothy 2 with me for just a moment. We've got to look at something here. Now remember, day by day, he wouldn't listen to her. Day by day. We've got to choose to ignore these things. We've got to choose not to listen to these things. We've got to choose not to go after the bait. Remember, the devil's the bait layer. So he just takes off and, and he flees. You know, he found the door of escape. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, says this. Now we know Joseph's about 28 years old. Flee also, also youthful lust and follow. Righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Flee youthful lust. Look at, I want you to notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say youthful, flee lust. It says flee youthful lust. When we look at the Bible, we look at an example of someone that we love who, who made, a, made a blunder. He actually sinned. His name's King David. And I didn't realize this about David till I was studying this week, but... They said that David, when he fell into his sin with Bathsheba, was in his 50s, possibly 58 years old. Last 20 years of his life, he only lived to be 70. So we've got to be aware and to make sure that we do the counsel here. That word flee there is like being a fugitive from, always running, always on the run from. It's a present imperative, commanding, calling for action to be our way of life, to be continual, and to be a habitual practice. That's what the Christian is called to. To realize these things are chasing me and I need to be running from these things. You know, we've also been called to flee idolatry, flee covetousness, and, and right here he's writing to a young pastor and he tells him to, to flee youthful lusts. Now, when, when you look in the Bible, you look at an example by the name of Job, and, and you know, he made a covenant 
with his eyes that he wouldn't look on a maiden. You know, it was also something like, like Joseph that, that was already pre-built in him. There was just certain directions you didn't go. With me having an electrical background, you know, we didn't go near high voltage ever because it was hot. And, and one wrong move uh, could be just deadly. Certain realities and warnings, they needed to be heated at all times because there's just too much on the line. And, and, and you look at this, and, and, and the reality is, is you need to flee these things, and you need to follow. So get away from what's tempting you and start hanging out with the people that can encourage you, that are walking with Jesus, that are a good example to you, and that aren't going to condone wrong in your life. That aren't going to tell you it's okay when God's telling you it isn't. Follow those. Righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. You go back to Genesis. And I think we need to look at Joseph's example. And you know what we need to ask ourselves? Are we fleeing it? Are we running from those things? Sometimes your answer can be simply this. What if your spouse picks up your phone and starts going through it? Does your heart jump a beat? It shouldn't. What if somebody's trying to get a hold of you from your past on Facebook Messenger? What are you doing with it? Somebody just needs to be ministered to of the opposite sex because you're so godly and the person they're married to isn't. So he left his garment. He fled like a fugitive and got him out. And it came to pass when she saw that he left his garment in her hand and was fled forth that now she called, now she's going to call out unto the men of her house and spake unto them, saying, that He brought in this Hebrew to mock us. He came in here to lie with me, and I cried with a loud voice. One of the things we recognize about Potiphar's wife, number one, is love had nothing to do with it. And you think about how two-faced this woman is. Making an indictment and a false accusation on him with Potiphar being in the position that he was in, Joseph being in the position that he was in, he could have been executed that very night. Executed that very night. How much did she care? She didn't care. You know who she cared about? She cared about herself. She cared about herself. But here's the, thing, here's the bottom line, right? So she changes the whole story. And this is the thing about the tempter. She's the tempter. We got a tempter. His name's Satan. He's so two-faced. Right? So two-faced. So what the devil does, he's so two-faced with us. You know what he does? He tries to bait us into sin. He's the bait layer. And he gives us all the excuses and all the justifications why we should do it, even though God's word says not to. And the moment he talks you into it and you go forth and do it and you sin, now all of a sudden he's beating you with a stick of condemnation. What a terrible Christian you are. I can't believe you're so terrible. God's never going to use your life now. Because the tempter is very two-faced. Just like Potiphar's wife. Because here's the bottom line. Her father was the devil. God wasn't her father. God was Joseph's father. 
And it came to pass when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried that he left his garment with me and fled, and, and he got him out. And she, said, and she laid up his garment by her until, the Lord came, until his Lord came home. And she spake unto him according to these words, saying, The Hebrew servant which you brought home is coming to me to mock me. And it came to pass that I lifted up my voice and cried that he left his garment with me, and he fled. And it came to pass. Now look at verse 19. Now, now one, of the, one of the things you need to recognize Okay, and don't forget this, because there's too much easy believism, non-biblical Christianity floating around, especially in our country today, is the God-honoring life will suffer injustice. A life that honors God will suffer injustice from time to time. It just will. All those who will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Jesus told us to rejoice and be blessed when people say things against us, do things against us, because they did the same against the prophets. All right? Look how they treated Jesus. Should we expect to be treated any better if we become more like Christ, which hopefully is all of our prayers, then maybe the treatment will be very similar in our lives. So here's the bottom line, is there is no better defense integrity or defense attorney in your life than integrity. Because here we see here, look, look what happens here. And it came to pass when his master heard the words of his wife, she spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant to me, his wrath was kindled. Potiphar is ticked. He's mad. And Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, a place where the king's prisoners were, and he was there in prison. By all means, in Egypt, in a situation like this, an individual like that would be executed immediately. Potiphar didn't do that. Do you know why? Because his wrath, I believe totally, was not towards Joseph. It was towards Potiphar's wife. I believe he knew the kind of woman she was and he knew the kind of man that, that Joseph was. Eleven years of living a godly life. And I'm telling you, there is no better defense attorney in your life than godly integrity. Godly integrity. But to save face, I believe that he had to get rid of the slave that he trusted with absoluteness and he got stuck with a wife that he knew he could not trust. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison of the place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in prison. Okay, he's there in prison. On earth he got the shackles. But in heaven, God was making him a crown. A crown promised in James 1 to those who will endure temptation. And the whole reason that they endure temptation, according to James, is because they love God. It was that love that motivated him to do what's right in the time of temptation, and God built him a crown in heaven, according to James chapter 1. On earth he got the shackles, in heaven he got the crown. But here's the bottom line. The iron shackles of earth were preparing him for the golden crowns of glory. I read this today. All right. Now, I'm going to reference something. You don't have to turn there. Not, nobody reads it better than the Bible itself. But I read something out of a commentary that I thought was uh, really good and worth uh, reading to you. 
It says this, if Joseph had not been Egypt's prisoner, he had never been Egypt's governor. Now, if you don't know the story, with everything that he's going through and he's honoring God with his life, he's going to be the second in command of the biggest, si- or the biggest nation of the world, at this, or the strongest nation of the world at this time. So if Joseph had not been Egypt's prisoner, he'd never been Egypt's governor, the iron chain about his feet ushered in the golden chain about his neck. That's what I read, and that's what's so true, because he's going to find favor with Pharaoh. He's going to give them everything in the kingdom except the throne itself. But even better than that, I'm going to read this verse that I just botched to you. Blessed is the man that endures temptation. That's Joseph. When he's tested or tried, he's going to receive a crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them who love him. Promise. That's how we get through temptation, by loving the Lord. Okay? So better yet, even than that, the golden chain about his neck was a golden crown above his head eventually. Now, as you think about what individuals had to go through, you look at Joseph here in this prison. Jeremiah was thrown into a dungeon of slime pits. Daniel spent time in a lion's den. Peter and John in prison. John the Baptist, Herod's prison. Paul, Silas, Philippian jail. Paul, Nero's prison. John exiled to Patmos to write the book of Revelation. And what were they all guilty of? Living godly. Honoring God. Quit thinking that being a godly individual is going to be the easy course of this life. It's not. It's not. But it doesn't matter. Honoring God is what does matter. <laughs> Look at this. But the Lord was with Joseph. <laughs> Even in prison. Psalm 139. Where can I go from thy presence, Lord? So the Lord was with Joseph. And he showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. So now he's got more favor. We're going to find out why. But the Lord's with him. And this is what you need to know, okay? When God's with you and when God's at the helm, okay? Because God's with all of us. But the question is in our lives, is he at the helm? Is he the one calling the shots? Is he the one that we yield ourselves to? When we find ourselves at crossroads, whether it's decisions, temptations, trials, whatever it might be, is he the one at the helm? Because he's with, he's with his people. Look, at if you're born again, God, Jesus said he'd never leave you or forsake you. But the question is, is he the one steering the ship of life? Is he the one steering the ship of your life? Because this is the thing about Joseph. Because the Lord was with Joseph, and he showed him mercy, and he gave him favor, even there in that prison. You know what Psalms tells us? Psalms tells us that goodness and mercy follow us all the days of our life. We're blessed people. Man, we're blessed. What would you do without Jesus, especially these crazy days that we live in? Goodness and mercy follows us all the days of that life, and we're going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever because of this, because of the communion table, because of what Christ did for us. And that needs to spark something, man. That needs to build fire back again in the church today because our Savior's worthy of that. Now, we see something very similar happen with Daniel. You know, he was caused to be shown favor because, you know, the bottom line is with these individuals is that they were choosing to live a God-honoring life at all cost. At any cost. I'm going to live a God-honoring life. And in the book of Samuel, the Lord God of Israel says, For them that honor me, I will honor. God's looking to honor people. But the honor is only going to fall upon those who are honoring him. So he's honoring the life of Joseph here. 
And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison, and whosoever they were, he was a doer of it. So he's like, hey, Joseph, here's the keys to the prison. Here, the prisoners got the keys to the prison. I mean, what's that say about this individual? And, and it says here that the keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand. So he got to take the rest of his, his time off with Joseph because the Lord was with him. And what he did, the Lord made to prosper. Now, I believe from the next chapter, we find out that actually the one who oversaw this prison, guess who it was? Potiphar. This is Potiphar's prison. You know, so he put him there and he continued to show him the favor. But as he's sitting there, is Joseph sitting there in prison, maybe in iron shackles at first, just to save face for Potiphar? Think about what was running, in my, running through his mind. Think about everything that could be running through his mind. Betrayed of his brothers, thrown into a pit, sold as a slave, falsely accused by a lunatic, and now I'm in prison. But the presence of God was sufficient. The presence of God was sufficient for him. The Lord was with him. How many times have we heard that through this chapter? And that what he did, the Lord made to prosper. And as he's sitting in that prison, I wonder if the thought came from the Lord into his mind, Joseph, Remember what I showed you. Remember your dreams. Do you believe? Do you believe? I think there's a great chance that Potiphar was standing in the way of Joseph rising up the ranks of Egypt and all God that was going to do to fulfill those very dreams that he had and to save his own nation, his own family. I believe Potiphar knew that Joseph was such an amazing slave that he had to shield him from Pharaoh because if Pharaoh ever met him, Pharaoh would have taken him. God's got a way of getting us where he's called us to be in our lives. God's got a way of fulfilling the purposes of why you and I were created in this life. The key for us is to love him with all of our heart and to keep him first and to trust him and to know that he's with us and to keep him at the helm. What God can do with a life like that. Joseph just didn't survive in Egypt. He actually thrived in Egypt. And think about this. Think about this for us as believers. Because I look at Joseph, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to myself. Okay, I've I got to preach to myself before I can affect it, uh, uh, think it can have any effect on you. But Joseph takes away any of my excuses. You know what he had? He had the creation account. He had the flood judgment, the promises that were given to a great-grandpa, the Sodom and Gomorrah ancestors. He had everything prior to this from the beginning. You and I, we've got the incarnation of Christ. You and I, we've got the cross. You and I, we've got the empty tomb. We've got the ascension. We've got the promise of His return, and we've got the ability to be baptized in the Holy Spirit to live a godly life. With the minimal that Joseph had, it produced a fear and a love for his God. With the maximum of what we have, we have to ask ourselves, what is it producing? 
When we look at this chapter and say, oh no, Joseph's on his way to prison. Actually, no, Joseph's on his way to Pharaoh. It's a two-year pit stop before he gets there. But he'll get there. If you live a godly life, sometimes you'll pay for it. Sometimes you pay for it. But if God be for us, who can be against us? No weapon formed against you and me are going to prosper because of our master. Don't lose sight of that. Don't think for a second. Doesn't matter how long you've been walking with Christ. Doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how young you are. Trust me, the tempter's coming. He's going to hit you when you're low. Man, I was low a couple weeks ago, man. The devil tried to hit me with something big time. Thank God I got a faithful wife to help me walk through junk in my life in a way that honors God. But the tempter's out there, and none of us are off his menu. But loving Jesus Christ with all of our heart is the cure, it's the escape. And it's the way to live a life of victory. You know, we're going to celebrate the cross today. This is our declaration of independence right here. That blood was shed. That a body was broken. Because the son was willing to lay down his life for us. And praise the Lord that Jesus Christ valued you, me, us, so much that he would say, not my will be done, but your will be done. And willingly, under great duress of hematrosis, capillaries breaking in the skin, blood all over the place, sweating drops of blood, Because for the joy set before us, he endured the cross. You, you, me, we're the joy. We're the joy in Jesus' heart. That's why, because he he's God. He could see you. He could see me. And the love that he had for us fueled him to go forward for our best interest. I pray by the Holy Spirit that we would reciprocate that, that, that the love that we have for him would fuel us to go forward for his honor and for his glory. May God arise Joseph's out of our church, out of our Sunday school program to give God the life that he's worth us living. And may he help us in our weaknesses because we're so weak. And I believe as the days go on, we've got to be more dependent on him. But he died for us. He offers eternal life to us. Because of his great love for us. And as we take communion today, communion's a great reboot in our life. It's a time to be refreshed in the love of God, to remember the value that we hold to him, that he views us as a treasure worth dying for. But it's also a time that maybe through the scriptures or maybe some things going on this week, it's also a time that maybe something in the heart needs to get right with God. And it's always good to sit there and to allow the Holy Spirit to probe the heart that we'd examine ourselves and just allow Him to maybe identify some things 
that, that he knows that are actually holding us in bondage so we can't experience the fullness of liberty and that we would come into agreement with him and allow him to extract those things out of our hearts by repentance. You're right, Lord, I'm wrong. That attitude's wrong. That action's wrong. That word's wrong. Or what I'm doing at work is wrong. Or that relationship I'm starting to build with my Potiphar's wife is wrong. And I'm choosing to turn from that today because you're right and you're worthy as I take communion. Here's the bottom line, too, in Corinth. Look at all of us struggle. All of us, we, 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 we've got our own battles we're all facing, and God's so faithful and He loves us so much. We're a work in progress, going from glory to glory. He's going to complete that good work that He's begun. But if you're choosing to live in rebellion, if you know God says this, but you don't care, you're doing this, the exact opposite, some form of sin, I would encourage you to bypass communion. Because you don't want to drink of God's cup unworthily. It had ramifications on the saints in the early church. Does that mean I get, doesn't mean you've got to be perfect. It's just, look, at, be honest with yourself. If you're choosing rebellion today, bypass communion for your own good. If you're just struggling, bring your struggle before the Lord. He loves you. He's the only one who can do anything about it. Right? The more I go on, I'm like, Lord, I can't do nothing about this. You've got to do it. And guess what? When he does it, guess who gets the glory? Him. He gets all the glory. So let's remember his death, his sacrifice, his love, and on the other side of that cross, an empty tomb. Father, we bless you, and we thank you so much, Lord, that, that we get to celebrate the fact that you love us and that your love was really put on display and when we were yet sinners you died for us Jesus your word tells us that you were the lamb slain from the foundation of the world that this plan was in action because you and your foreknowledge knew how everything would play out and you chose to come and you chose to display the greatest act of love ever in the history of this world and we were the object of it. We are so blessed, Lord, more than we even know. And, and may it just birth in us a, a greater thankfulness, a greater gratitude to you. So thank you for your goodness, Lord. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, that we can look at examples like Joseph. And I pray, Father, that if there's anybody here that has stepped into the devil's snare or the tempter's getting the upper hand, that they would flee, that they would run like a fugitive so far away from the edge that they would not fall to their own destruction. Thank you for your love, Lord. Thank you for dying on the cross for us. In Jesus' name, amen.